Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Alec Varnell and Hoffi Ferrara from J Bar and Barbecue coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co host this week. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Festival went great. Sorry we missed you and good to be here. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, MF Sushi owner Chris Kinjo announced that he has two new restaurants coming to the Autry Park mixed-use development. That's a a big project going up on Allen Parkway uh, right near Shepherd Drive. They are MF Lobster and Ceviche and a Vietnamese restaurant called Anam. MF Lobster will serve dishes like lobster tacos, lobster bao, lobster ravioli, and several different kinds of ceviche. Anam will serve French-influenced Vietnamese food. Michael, let me. I've, that's a that's a lot to sort of process, but let me let me throw it to you. What do you kind of think about MF Sushi, and then and then, you know, how excited are you that that the the man known for MF Sushi is is going to do a couple other things. Um, it is a lot, and uh, I am excited. It's you know, there's so much happening in that little area, um, the whole West Dallas Bayou Park, you know, Shepherd. That just like we see all the steakhouse, the, the grill places, the steakhouses coming in, a lot of changes coming in, and I think it's all like exciting. Autry Park is is a relatively new development. You know, there's some high, the sort of luxury high rises, uh, and I guess they kicked it off last year with uh, the Chefs to Farmers event. That thing that uh, you know started in Dallas, and it was there from the kind of their uh, their their first event here in Houston, and it went really well. It's like a gorgeous space, um, and so the idea of putting in something more permanent that doesn't really intrude on, you know, the, the beauty of that little park right there uh, is it, it's appealing not only to me as someone who will travel there, but I can only imagine the people who live right, right by there. Like there's a lot of people who can walk to that. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I mean, I, you know, there's going to be just a ton of residents. There's a big uh, residential tower that's going up. That's where Anam is going to be. There's, there's office space. That's part of this development. So yeah, I mean, all of those people, want restaurants and so there will be restaurants and and as you said you know we've been talking about on the show for several months now there's a lot of development kind of along this corridor you know georgia james and and flight club and pastore all opened up at an adjacent development and iron the steakhouse from the owners of the pit room is days or weeks away from opening you know that's right down the street there's the, the harlow district that the uh Heights Beer Garden guys are opening with Katami, Chef Horisan from Katarabata's new restaurant and a couple of bars and a coffee shop. So yeah, this little this little pocket, never mind Muse, uh, EJ Miller's new restaurant, the former Emmeline space. So yeah, there's a lot going on in this area all of a sudden. And, you know, Chris Kinjo obviously uh, is going to be a part of that. Yeah. And, and places like, you know, Backstreet Cafe are not showing any signs of slowing down. So, you know, there's some time honored places too still there. So it, it is a lot. And there's, you know, no shortage of high quality sushi, particularly inside the loop of varying levels of, you know, cost and, and quality to be sure. 
I like the idea of a high-end place like MF Sushi, and MF Sushi definitely is executes at extremely high level uh, and is priced, you know, commensurately. But doing something a little more casual, the idea of you know something fine-tuned, going a little more casual, it lets me think. At least I, I assume that they'll get the little details right. You know, that tends to happen when you have one sort of high end moving down a little bit lower in terms of uh, uh, of what the style is as opposed to the other way around. And, you know, having only like 60 seats, that's a small place. I mean, we're talking like, you know, what, 12 to 16 tables. You know, it'll be a tight space, but so they don't need to fit 150 people in there to, to survive. So, I mean, I assume they've kind of figured that out and they'll tweak accordingly. So, you know, it sounds kind of sexy, got to be honest with you. That's the word that comes to my mind. Well, and there's something about lobster, right? Like there's something sort of romantic about really just honing in on this premium ingredient that, you know, obviously that we get in various forms. I mean, you and I went to Navy Blue and had delicious lobster ravioli and Jonathan's The Rub has made a whole career on their lobster tacos and some of the other things that they do but but there is just something about lobster particularly that's a little bit i don't know romantic and and so yeah i'm excited to see what he does with this and and you know i it may be it may be small i I don't think it's going to be inexpensive just because you know lobster tends to come with a premium price but but i think that's gonna again i think that kind of suits this premium real estate development that's going to have two ben berg restaurants and lick ice cream from austin and probably some other stuff that hasn't been announced yet oh absolutely i think you you hit the nail on the head is that sometimes houstonians bristle a little bit at luxury items like lobster you'll sell a few um i mean we saw what was the mainly houston mainly lobster but they did a good lobster roll and, and it was actually competitively priced but you know, as as a lunch item, it just did, it didn't really last for there. It was just a little too high on the price point. But if you brand yourself as the hey, this is a luxury experience, and you use as a focal point the lobster, so it's not like well, we hope they order it. We're like you pretty much have to order it. That's that's what they're about. You know, by making that the center of it, you know, I think people will not only be automatically drawn to that, but they'll be much more amenable to like okay, I they know what they have coming in as opposed to this luxury item that sometimes shows up on restaurants, particularly even sometimes like high-end steakhouses that's suddenly anywhere from 10 to 40% more expensive than the other items. And so it sometimes can get a little isolated and not really sell, but here they're making it, this is what we're about. And I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And then we know even less about the Vietnamese restaurant, but I mean, Chris Kinjo is Vietnamese. I'm sure he has some perspective on Vietnamese food, you know, no shortage of Vietnamese restaurants around town, but if it's basically him looking at La Colonial and thinking, well, anything they can do, I can do better, bring it on. Yeah, I like that. I mean, we're now, we're basically entering the fifth decade of of Houston, Houston having kind of a core Vietnamese population. And in the last few decades, we've really seen just the restaurants not just be isolated in a few neighborhoods or maybe in Asia town, but they've become like these sort of neighborhood favorites all over. And so it's not like, it's nothing off the, you know, off the track there. It's like, it's something that I think all Houstonians or many Houstonians, I should say, really love. Uh, they love that having been part of their regular dynamic of dining out and, uh, you know, having, bringing another one in at a little higher level, like Lake Coney as you pointed out, 
Uh, I think it's a great idea. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Mandito's, the family-friendly Tex-Mex restaurant from Armando's owners, Cinta and Armando Palacios, is opening April 13th, which is the same day this podcast debuts. So today, if you're if you're listening to this on April 13th, happy happy Mandito's opening day. Michael, we know we know Armando's is kind of a staple in River Oaks. It's, uh, you know, white tablecloth, very luxurious. They have the the Thursday night kind of DJ thing with the dancing and all that. That's very popular. Mandito's won't have any of that, right? Uh, no, no white tablecloths, no, no Thursday night dance party, but but it will serve a pretty good fare. They have they have one of these in in Round Top where the uh, Palacios's have had quite a bit of success. So. Now, let me throw it to you. I mean, I, you know, thinking about kind of the everything that's going on in Bel Air these days, there isn't like an obvious Tex-Mex destination that comes to mind, at least for me. So I, I feel like this is probably going to be pretty well received. Yeah, I, I concur. I mean, Bel Air is finally having the sort of restaurant renaissance that certainly everyone in that area knows that they deserved. Um, we watched restaurants actually move out of there back in the day. And now to see it really just completely blossoming, flowering out, and and seeing a, a wide variety of quality is not only exciting, but long overdue. Um, also, it's one of the last destinations for like affordable real estate that's not like way out in the sticks. It, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Armando's is, to, to coin a phrase, it's certainly a vibe. And, you know, they kind of staked out like the Thursday night is like the scene there. Uh, but the food is also is good, you know, like they don't phone it in. And... You know, I'd ask you, what would you say is like the safest type of restaurant you could open, certainly in Houston? And at least for me, that short list would be a Tex-Mex place in terms of the risk you're taking, as well as the idea of what something is attracted to. It's nothing obscure. And so, you know, there are no guarantees and opening and running restaurants is extremely difficult, but they're... uh, they're well, they're well, uh, their operations have been going well for a long time. They're very seasoned. They're very experienced. Uh, and so taking it to a more casual level, I think, uh, you know, has a good chance of being successful. And I know I'll make the track out there for it. I, I would agree with basically everything you said, and, and they, they have done some things to kind of set themselves up for success. I mean, they, they partnered with this master mezcal blender to, to come up with their the, the different agave spirits that they have on the back bar and, and come up with their, you know, margaritas and other cocktails that they're doing. They have a whole bunch of plant-based options, which I know is, is important. And, you know, if I think about kind of the Jewish community in that area, you know, they're not, you know, to the extent that like eating, eating kosher is, is a priority or at least not eating things that are explicitly not kosher, right? Like anything with pork or shrimp in it, you know, having those plant-based options will be very helpful for them. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm just, you know, one of the things they taught in the press release was this, this tortilla machine that apparently cranks out 900 tortillas an hour. So I, I think if nothing else, like I, I kind of want to go there just to see this thing work. I, I can only eat 200 an hour. So that's interesting. So I, I guess I would have to share. Right. What is everyone else going to eat? I think that's the real question. Okay, good. I'm glad we covered that. Um, are plant-based foods having a moment? Like, is it becoming a, a real thing here? Uh, you know more about this than I do. What do you think? I mean, I, I think it's becoming more and more of a thing. I think more people who are, 
you know, maybe not, maybe not fully vegan, but, but part-time vegetarian or, or just looking for a lighter option. Or, you know, we certainly know a lot of people who are keto these days and, and, you know, obviously that, that could be pretty meat heavy, but, but that are, you know, looking to, looking to control their portion sizes, looking to control their caloric and fat intake. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think it's becoming more of a trend just, just as it is nationally, right. That, that, you can kind of make fun of the whole Houston fattest city thing from, you know, a decade ago or whatever. That's all faded away, thankfully. But it does reflect kind of shifting, shifting attitudes. I got to say, I'm curious. I mean, you know me, I'm I'm, I'm knee deep in, into the whole meat thing here. And, and that's not going to change anytime soon. But am I curious? And do I, you know, about it? I absolutely am. And and if if something's happening of quality, sure, I'll try it out. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we go to Mandito's in a couple of weeks, I think, yeah, give me the, give me the impossible or the beyond beef enchiladas or whatever it is they've got going on. Like, I'm, I'll be curious, <laughs> you know, like, does it, does it taste like the real thing? I think that's, that's always the real question. Yeah. I guess when, like when vegan and plant-based and things like that set themselves up to be replacements and they try to make themselves like these sort of facsimiles without the meat, I don't know how much that attracts me, but when they just can kind of rest on being what they are, um, maybe that's a little more attractive. That's probably just me though, but who knows? Let's move on to topic number three. Just briefly, I want to note the Dish Society, the uh, Farm to Table Neighborhood Cafe has announced that they are opening in Austin with a location in the Mueller development. And the reason that I... I included this is not we're not going to start covering a bunch of Austin restaurant news, but Aaron Lyons, the founder of Dish Society, has been on this podcast a few times. We've always sort of talked about Austin. He's a UT alum. Uh, this is this has been in the plans for a long time, and I'm I'm personally I'm just glad that he's finally been able to sort of realize this aspiration of his. But but you're a you're an occasional Austin visitor. You are also a like Aaron Lyons, a University of Texas alumnus. So so let me ask you, what do you think? How do, how do you think Dish Society is going to do? in Austin. Well, so often we get these sort of Austin transplants coming here and then people get kind of gaga about them. And, and there's no shortage of them on the way, as you well know, I love the idea that we export some of our quality operations into that environment. Uh, and I wish them all the success in the world. Austin is just so expanded. So many people have moved there. There's such a high tax base. I mean, there's, there's really a well-heeled crowd, I think there's plenty of room for them to be successful. So I hope that does work out. I, you know, and I'll give a shout out then if we're just to talk about Austin that, um, you know, it's just announced that Leroy and Lewis, the time honored and high quality uh, barbecue food truck that's been in South Austin for several years has finally announced that they're opening a brick and mortar, not too far from their original uh, location for the food truck in South Austin and uh, Sawyer Lewis Evan Leroy just executed a really high level in both hospitality and food. And I couldn't be more excited for that. Yeah. We should say Sawyer Lewis uh, is a former Houstonian, right? Worked at Cultivare for a long time. Uh, so, you know, we've always kind of kept our eye on Leroy and Lewis kind of, kind of half hoping that it, it wouldn't work out in Austin because they might, because then they might give Houston a shot. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately it's Texas monthly's uh, second best barbecue restaurant in the state right now. So, you know, not it's it's not coming here, but but yes, good for them. Yeah, they both had kids now, so uh, yeah, they're they're deeply entrenched. Uh, but is it destination barbecue? Absolutely, it is. 
Yeah. And, and just to sort of put a pin in the dish society thing, I, you know, it is, it is relatively rare for Houston restaurants to, to go West. As you said, we have a lot of Austin restaurants that come here, not so many Houston restaurants that go there. I mean, there's a tiny boxwoods there, local foods just opened out there, but uh, it's, it's not, doesn't happen that often. So yeah, I think for dish society to take this step, you know, fulfill Aaron's aspiration is, is exciting. And I think for all the reasons it's been successful here, I think it'll be successful there. Boom. All right. I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Michael, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about O'Tour. This is Benji Levitt's new French restaurant in Rice Village. It is upstairs from local foods. It is next to Lee's Den, his wine bar. It is in the former Thai Sticks space. Let me throw it to you. What did you think of our dinner at O'Tour? Okay, first off, beautiful restaurant. I mean, Benji's restaurants always have stunning interior design, and this is no different. And, and it's not like a, a cookie cutter from his previous things either. It really has its own style and identity. You know, the, the colors, the textures out there. The thing that kind of surprised me and I wasn't sure was that it's actually really reasonably priced. You know, when we think of French food, often that can be kind of like a high end thing, but this is more a bistro style. And so it's really more accessible from its price point from the restaurant, you know, from the food to the bar, you know, it's not 18, $19 cocktails. It's, you know, a a well curated cocktail program that's keeping them more reasonable, like under $15. And then the food is, you know, it's executed at a high level, but it's not precious. You know, we know a few places like that uh, and it's contemporized too. So things like having duck breast on there and doing the gnocchi and, and uh, you know, a French omelet, which I thought was, I can't wait to go back and try um, are compelling. We had a bar steak, uh, which I think on the menu is listed as bar steak. And it was a bavette, which is the the flap actually which is, you know, it's a very, it's a fairly tender cut, but it was executed at such an incredibly high level. It was just perfect, medium rare from edge. It looked like it was sous vide. It was so perfect. Uh, just, I was really impressed with the quality and it was filling and it was under $40. You're like, that's fantastic. Yeah. For whatever reason, inexpensive or relatively inexpensive steak entrees have been a hallmark of Benji's concepts for a while now. I mean, it was like that at the classic. It's like that at Lee's Den where they've always had like a pretty affordable 30 ish dollars steak on the menu. And it's like that Odo tour where, where yes, I mean that pivette was, you know, spot on nice, hard sear on the outside, medium rare on the inside, well seasoned. Yeah. One of the more delicious things we ate just to circle back on the design. The designer is, is a woman named Brittany Vaughn, her firm garnish designs. Uh, they did Lee's Den. They did Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Chris Cusack's Pizzeria on Washington Avenue. And, and she's connected to the Nancy Sussel world. Her husband is Jason Vaughn, the chef and, and the partner. So so you could see her work like at Tiny Champions, for example. So, you know, she's she's kind of in the process of making a name for herself. But yeah, I mean, O'Tour is, is gorgeous. It's got that kind of uh, mid-century thing going on with the with this, it's it's lit really well. It's just it, it was very comfortable and and uh, very pretty to look at. 
I mean, it could be a lunch place too. It's got that kind of price point. When I mean, we had a great burger, there was there. Uh, some of their appetizers were really strong. I thought it was interesting that they had so much caviar. You know, they had like I, I want to think like five or six different caviars. I, I don't know. I, I'll be curious to see. You know, going forward, maybe three to six months from now, if they're going to be carrying that many. But you know, I enjoy what we had. The crudo we had, like the scallop crudo, it tasted good. It left me kind of, uh, I was just kind of, uh, it, it seemed very one note and uh, unimpressive. It didn't have enough acid. And that's something that they can tweak and change out as they go. Uh, we had great service. It's just really a beautiful place. And sometimes places are really beautiful and everything else kind of lacks, or they just get so caught up in the aesthetic. You know, you see that impossibly good looking wait staff. And then the food's just kind of ho-hum and they're just trying to attract the drinking crowd. That wasn't here, man. Benji really brings the quality of his food there. And that open kitchen is fantastic. So I'm eager to go try other things like the trout, the snapper. I want to have that omelet. I know you're not a big egg guy, so you're not going to be coming with me for that. (laughs) No, I'm not. But, but yes, I, I mean, I'd go back for, I'd go back for snapper. I'd go back for trout. I'd go back to try the pork milanese, but I, but you know, I thought that seared duck breast was was really well cooked. I thought the the cheeseburger was was really tasty. You know, it's a on the menu. It's a, it's a it's a mix of short rib and duck. So I'm I'm in favor of that. And you know, they sent us like we ordered some stuff. I mean, we we were their guests for the meal, right? They they paid for dinner, but we ordered some stuff, and then they they sent us a couple things, including those mushroom and raclette dumplings that that I think was one of the real highlights of of what we ate. I thought I thought. Like I'd, I'd go back for that. I'd go back for those gnocchi. I mean, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot to like here. The thing that surprised me the most, and this just just dovetails into expectations, was on their dessert menu they had a uh, sort of a chocolate mousse tart, mousse a chocolat as they call it, and it looked very you know traditional little small round tart, you know, a little chocolate mousse uh, piped in just so, uh, you know, a little chantilly. It was fantastic. It just had this strong chocolate flavor that was just cut with a little bit of either chocolate or, I mean, coffee or espresso. And uh, I couldn't get enough of it. I was full and didn't even really want dessert. But the flavor they did was such a bullseye on flavor and texture for something that's very very traditional. I would go back there like after eating somewhere else just to have the dessert there. That's how good it was. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for chocolate desserts generally, and, and they sort of looked at us and were like, "Do you want to try all three desserts?" We were, we were, <laughs> that, but, but we, we very, we very generously, I think, uh, to our credit, made room and, and accommodated them and tried the chocolate mousse, and I'm, I'm glad we did. Daddy, we're givers. That's what we are. Exactly right. All right. Anything else on this? Uh, nope. All right, then I'm going to say that does it for the restaurant of the week, Michael. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. And I'll be right back with the guys from J Bar and Barbecue. I am joined this week by the folks from JBRM Barbecue. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so people can hear your voices. 
Pitmaster Alec Varnell, welcome to the show. Thank you. General Manager Hoffi Ferreira, thanks for doing this. Yes, sir. Gentlemen, I, I, I just want to get right into it because, you know, I did an interview about a year ago with Charles Toomey, who's the, the grandson of John Toomey, who's the owner of JBRM Barbecue, and Willow Villarreal, who was the, the pitmaster. Uh, his partner, Jasmine Morello, was chef de cuisine, I think. And then shortly after that interview aired, Willow and Jasmine left, the general manager left, the front of house manager left, uh, a couple of consultants who had been working with you guys left, and this restaurant that had been uh, very up and coming, you know, we nominated you guys for a Tastemaker Award for Best New Restaurant. You'd gotten some positive press from Allison Cook and Texas Monthly. You, you kind of went into the wilderness as far as the media was concerned. So. So are so, you about to say we are about to go into the wilderness as well after this interview? No, no, no. I no. <laughs> I'm just basing it on. No, no, but but let me just say, like I've been to JBRM, <laughs> like I I stayed away for about six months and kind of let the dust yeah. settle. Yeah. And I've been back a few times recently, and I and I like what you guys are up to. Awesome. But I also know that if I don't if I don't talk about this with you, then I'm gonna get I'm gonna get angry emails and and direct <laughs> messages to people. So gotcha. so. Alex, I mean, let me just let me just start with you because you were you were there from the beginning. I mean, what what was it like, kind of when when Willow and everybody else left, and and what's it kind of been like to move forward? Um, you know, it was unexpected. You know, uh, everything kind of happened all at once. You know, there was some um, some management changes that were made, and like I said, it was kind of unexpected. A lot of people left that I wasn't quite. Um, you know, expecting to be a result of that. Um, you know, I, I've been in the restaurant industry since I was 15. So I've witnessed many like Max Exodus and, um, you know, staff, you know, completely switching, management switching. So as far as uh, experiencing something like that before, it wasn't something new to me. Um, uh, it was unfortunate as I had grown, you know, pretty close um, and, you know, strong relationships with all those individuals. And uh, it was a great team. Uh, and it was just a unfortunate, you know, circumstance. So moving forward, it's just been for me personally um, about, you know, steering the ship and the direction that we've already, you know, been been going towards and um, being one of the few from from the original crew. I felt like it was, you know, my responsibility for the team as well to really be. Uh, a leader for everyone that that was still there and um you know just make sure we didn't fall off track with what our mission was for jbarm and um for you know i feel like it's been pretty successful we have a really strong team still a lot of original team members from from the beginning as well and um you know everyone's involved on the menu uh you know the creativity that's going on there um and uh couldn't be more proud of you know what we've been able to accomplished since that happened i feel like we are definitely on the right track um at the restaurant so um whirlwind of emotions but overall i think we're you know uh we're, we're making the progress that's necessary and uh, i think we're firing on all cylinders there's a lot of talent in that building and uh you know we thrive on that and uh yeah couldn't be happier to work with the team we're working with currently yeah, I mean, talk about I mean, talk about your background because, like you said, you've been in the restaurant business for a long time, and and you were kind of doing. Uh, I mean, people may follow you. I 
I guess I should identify you by your your Instagram handle, right? Your your Big Daddy Carne. Yeah, yeah. People probably people probably follow you, but yeah, I mean, you've been doing some pop ups and stuff. You know, you've been in the barbecue game for a little bit before you started uh, working at, at JBRM. So so maybe just kind of we talk about that and kind of talk about how you how you've used that experience to kind of keep uh, you know keep the train moving at, at JBAR. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I got into the industry when I was 15. Um, pretty much once I was old enough to get a job, my mom like stripped my rights for me and was like, you need to get to work. And um, so I started as a dishwasher and, uh, you know, I worked my way up through a couple of different concepts. Uh, started uh, managing when I was in my early 20s uh, and held the rank of a general manager for a concept for a few years. And uh, just felt like I hit a plateau where I was at there. So. Um, you know, barbecue was a strong passion for me. Uh, it was what I would go home and work on after, you know, working 10, 12 hours a day and then, you know, spending time on the weekends doing that. So um, in 2019 is when I pulled the plug and then uh, started an LLC for Big Daddy Carne and uh, started doing pop-ups and events, um, you know, through the pandemic and um, towards the end as well, right before I got to JRM. So, um you know, being in uh, from from the beginning, you know, starting in a, in a dishwasher position and, and going through every rank up to a general manager, you know, I've been able to use my experience and knowledge of each, uh, you know, moving part for a restaurant, um, you know, having understanding for the importance of each role and, you know, seeing everyone as equal, which I think is very, very important. It doesn't matter if you're the owner or you're a busser, you know, mm-hmm. everyone is just as valuable. Um, so having worked all those positions and, um, you know, then getting to a, a position where it was more about managing a team, financials and, uh, you know, food control, you know, quality control, um, food safety, all those, you know, things that go into running a restaurant and then branching off from that and then working for myself, starting a barbecue concept where, you know, uh, barbecue concept is completely different from just your traditional restaurant, really. Um, you know, as far as margin goes, um, just the way things kind of flow, you know, menu development and uh, stuff like that. So I was able to take my prior experience, you know, for for the business side and then get more involved in, in cooking and, you know, developing, you know, uh, a barbecue menu and getting more familiar with the proteins and cooking with live fire and perfecting my craft. And then going to JVRM, you know, starting from scratch, I'm kind of able to tie all that in together and, uh, you know, bring w- what I can to offer to the table there to make sure we're successful, um, not just on the food side of things, but also um, on the business and, you know, team building side of things as well. So, just, uh, yeah, it feels like uh, this is kind of where all this preparation was supposed to land me, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're running a, I mean, you're running the, the barbecue program at a, at a, you know, a pretty high profile location. I, I mean, you've got to feel, you've got to feel, you know, you, the circumstances may not have been what you anticipated when you signed on, but, you know, it also, there wasn't your decisions. I mean, you know, you, you must feel pretty good about it. Yeah, man, I I love what I do. I mean, I, I'm blessed. Like, I don't see my job as a job. You know, I'm blessed to wake up and go do what I do every day, even if I hardly ever sleep. Um, 
you know, I, I see it as a true blessing and um, I'm very grateful for, for where I'm at. And, you know, I don't take that for granted and, you know, I'm definitely proud of um, where I'm at and where my team's at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Hoffy, let me, let me bring you in on this. Cause I, you know, I, I mean, I know a little bit about Alex background, but I, I really don't know much about yours. So kind of where were you prior to J bar and, and how did you, you know, come to become the general manager? Yeah. I mean, um, to um, I'll co- condense into actually a little bit more. So my first job in uh, the United States, obviously I've got a funny accent and whatnot. So everybody's always asking, where did I start out of? And so I actually started working with the Houston Texans uh, for almost about 10 years, uh, did all the, the big events over there and then got into the food industry. Actually in South Africa as well, we own a couple of bed and breakfasts. And then uh, when I started working with the Texans, we did the Trascos Club in the bubble, the big Methodist training center. And uh, David and Michael Cordura came over and said, hey, man, do you want to run one of our restaurants up in uh, the woodlands where I live? And uh, they basically said, yeah, you know, um, if you can start uh, doing a buffet in 24 hours for 2,000 people plus and uh, set it up and break it down in 24 hours, uh, you can probably run a restaurant that's uh, fixed and basically just work the financials and we'll coach you and teach you all the, the fundamentals. So um, obviously everybody knows Michael and David Cordua. Well, it's a family that's well-established in Houston. And uh, so I worked as a general manager over there, the, the location of, up in the woodlands, and then uh, made my way to uh, Georgia Brown. Uh, worked for Levy when we had the big transition with uh, Aramark, and I ran all the banquets over there. But then afterwards, uh, uh, some of the consultants that's actually at j him now got me working at Walden Yacht Club. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it, but up uh, Lake Conroe. I mean, I, I don't know about anybody else. I, I'm certainly not. <laughs> so that's uh, what we get a lot as well. That's why they brought me over at Walden, because actually that's uh, even funnier. I never even uh, met uh, Alec up here in Montgomery side, but he actually lives in Walden, which is weird because now we actually work together downtown Houston. How things work out. Yeah, doesn't it? So anyway, so then uh, I took the food and beverage director position at uh, Walden for about five years and then moved over to uh, JBARM about a month ago. So so what made JBARM seem like the right next move for you? Honestly, um, the 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 things that the, the, the company and the establishment stands for. So I didn't know anything about all the things that happened prior before I got there. Um, obviously, there's always three sides to a story, as my dad always would say, you know, it's yours, mine, and the truth. And whatever happened, happened. And obviously, there's a lot of good guys in that building as we speak. I mean, obviously, Alec is an uh, individual that uh, can attest to that. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons as well, seeing the team that was there um, together just felt like there was a good gut feeling. I want to be in this building. I want to work with these guys and uh, see if I can be a part of this team as well. But um, honestly, just Mr. Toomey, when you meet him as well, he just seems like a legitimate good guy that loves barbecue. Um, he wants to really establish uh, himself as a barbecue lover in Houston and Texas as well. And I mean, just everything that all family stands for. Yeah, so Alec, let me let me kind of swing it back to you. I mean, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things that J Bar is doing that's a little bit different than other barbecue restaurants is you're you're doing kind of traditional barbecue service at lunch, and then you're you're doing like a casual steakhouse, like a kind of saltgrass. Well, you you may you may think that's disrespectful, so I'll, I'll just call it a casual steakhouse and leave it at that. Uh, at dinner, and and you just rolled out a brunch menu. So, so maybe talk a little bit about kind of 
you know, why is a barbecue, like you're doing more things than a normal barbecue restaurant does? All right. Well, first and foremost, you know, that's kind of always been uh, John Toomey's dream when he, he wanted to, um, you know, open J Bar M. He wanted it to be just more than a barbecue joint. He wanted it to be a venue. He wanted to offer um, some other dinner, you know, menu items, do brunch. Um, he just had a huge vision for, for, for all that. So, you know, first and foremost, we're, we're just trying to accomplish his dreams and, and, and make them successful. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the, the building itself, you, you, you go in there and you, you look at it, you're like, wow, this is, this is far more than a barbecue place, you know, with the beer garden, um, the stage and just the amount of, um, seating and tables that we have. So, uh, you know, I think, um, as far as, you know, what barbecue, uh, in Texas, you know, where we're at in, in the culture, um, I wouldn't quite say it's peaked, you know, cause barbecue is constantly evolving and, and striving to be better. Um, but you can pretty much go anywhere, um, in Texas at, you know, some of the, you know, well-known or even lesser known barbecue joints and get, you know, top-notch brisket and ribs and good sides and, uh, and, you know, house-made sausage. So for us, it's, you know, a way for us to evolve and, and, and get more creative and um, just, you know, bring out a lot of talent in the, in the, in the kitchen and the people that we have there and uh, showcase that. Um, so we actually just recently, kind of switched how we're, we were doing dinner, you know, for a long time, we, um, we were just doing the standard, you know, barbecue line service, um, through lunch. And then at five o'clock we would switch to a table service and we actually just parted ways with, with doing that. So we're running, um, the barbecue service line all day and all night. And we kind of simplified a lot of the, the things we were doing for that dinner menu. Um, we've just reflected on the past several months uh, of service and, you know, we focused on what was working and winged out what wasn't working so we could make things, um, you know, make things run smoother and kind of make things, you know, easier, um, and just do what's working. So, well, we'll be a little bit specific. I mean, what, what are maybe yeah. one or two things that, that worked that you kept and what's one thing that you realized this was a good idea, but it's just not, it's just not resonating with our customers. Oh, uh, well, the thing that, that really um, stood out that's working is our, our Texas grazing boards, mm-hmm. um, which uh, it's a big platter, you know, that comes with, with about 90% of our protein. So you're going to get um, some brisket, some ribs on there, chicken and sausage, uh, turkey, then also uh, some wood fired steaks. So um, those have been a hit for us. And then, with that, you know, we had some some other proteins like lamb chops and some uh, pork chops, things like that, that we we took off that weren't selling as much. Uh, some grilled fish items, you know, uh, we, we let our customers tell us what was working, you know, by looking at our PMIX reports and, you know, what wasn't selling. We took off and what was selling, uh, you know, we we uh, put more focus on that. And um, with that, we also kind of change the way we're doing our steaks um so we're smoking them in the barbecue pits uh for several hours at a cold smoke temperature um 
that way they get a, a more unique flavor profile than you would from, you know, like you said, a salt grass or an outback or uh, Vic and Anthony's, you know, other places where it's a way for us to still kind of stay on brand with, you know, we are a smokehouse. And um, it also helps us, you know, execute the orders a little bit quicker, gets our, our times down. So with it not being a, a table service restaurant where you sit down and have a server, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, find ways to still go through the line at a, at a good speed and get, and get orders out quickly. So it was a way for us to do that more efficiently and, and add some more flavor in there too. Yeah, and especially looking like a Flintstone steak. I mean, it's going to take <laughs> a good while to cook those, but when I saw some of those steaks, it was massive. Yeah, what he's referring to is our, uh, well, we were doing a, a tomahawk steak, yeah. uh, which we did simplify down to a porterhouse yeah. and, and uh, seems to be working better. Really yeah, because, you know, we're throwing a tomahawk on with, you know, five to 10 pounds of barbecue. It's already a gargantuan <laughs> amount of food. Um, so simplifying it down to a porterhouse, it's, uh, that's been working better for our, our grazing boards as well. And then I, I know you guys are rolling up brunch this weekend. So from my perspective as a, as a barbecue dork, you know, it's all about getting in line. It snows at eight o'clock in the morning and having brisket for breakfast. But, uh, but I, I suspect you're, you've got uh, slightly more sophisticated plans. Yeah. So we've got, uh, you know, some, some items that are, you know, kind of staples in brunch, you know, chicken and waffles. Uh, we've got, a uh, some chilaquiles, um, We've got a, a traditional, you know, breakfast plate that comes with our uh, house breakfast sausage, so some bacon. Breakfast taco with a slab of uh, brisket as well. I mean, it's like a caveman uh, looking taco as well. So people get excited about that one specifically. It's not chopped up or whatnot. Yeah. And then we, uh, so we also got uh, some cinnamon rolls. Uh, it's, it's a big platter of cinnamon rolls. It serves about five individual portions. <laughs> um, comes with uh, a good, you know, icing on top and some caramel drizzle yeah. and pecans so um yeah it, it, you know it's not like going to snows where you you know eat barbecue for you know straight up barbecue for breakfast uh kind of ties in with you know houston is a big city for brunch and i'm sure you know that way well more than i do um but yeah just kind of um dialing in on some of those you know big heavy hitters for brunch but doing it you know the jbrm way yeah, no, and, and I mean, I, I think that makes a certain amount of sense, right? If you're trying to be not just a barbecue restaurant, but a restaurant that appeals to people who, you know, want a salad or or a burger or tacos or whatever, you know, being able to say on a Sunday morning, like, yeah, I'm going to get a three-meat plate, but you can get chicken and waffles or you can get filaquiles or, or breakfast tacos, I think. You know, I think that's all of the good because it it just it opens you up to a a broader audience. Exactly, and and that's what we want. You know, I think J Bar M. I see it more as just a restaurant. It's like an oasis for for many people where yeah. they'll come spend four or five hours, you know, and just hang out. Especially on the weekends when we have live music. Like music yeah. Um, you know, we got a full bar and a beer garden. So with that, it, it it's able to bring more people together because you know now there's more options. So now people are like, well, I want a barbecue. Well, I want brunch. Well, yeah, we can go one place and get the same thing and hang out for a few hours. So, you know, and that's what a lot of our, we see a lot of our weekend customers and our regular customers do. They come and hang out and, um, which is awesome, you know, because we're able to 
get to know our customers more and build relationships with them. And um, yeah, feel, and like I said, it feels more like a, a, a place you go out and seek, you know, um, a, a place to just relax and enjoy yourself more than just eat. Yeah, and it was actually cool to see as well when they did the the, the brunch when sometimes the Astros games are like a daytime game and whatnot. So, I mean, it's, it's a big difference just going to the game and you get a really good barbecue before. But then, like you said as well, if you want to get a brunch item, I mean, do it the, the J-Bot M-Way. Well, right. I mean, you've got an opportunity there because, you know, the Astros home games on a Sunday are always at that one o'clock start. I mean, unless they're on, you know, ESPN, I guess, or. And then, you know, Dynamo season is kicked off and, and, you know, that's, that's very close to you guys too. So, I mean, I, I would imagine you're, you're seeing some increased traffic just from people wanting to, to get something to eat and a drink and, and not pay stadium prices for it. Yeah. And what's cool about uh, the Houston city itself as well. I mean, that's what uh, drew me uh, to live out here. I mean, just the, the culture, the amount of different cultures. Um, I mean, it's a big influence, of, obviously, with the Hispanic culture inside as well. And you can see the guys in the kitchen with uh, Alex uh, lead on some of the stuff, like the chilaquiles. I mean, that's a phenomenal plate. And just the way they do it, I mean, you can see they try to keep the traditional flavors just to show that uh, they're being respectful to the plate and the the, the, the item itself, but then still do it uh, the way that they feel like uh, represents the concept really well. So, like I said, it's it's been about a year since all this stuff went down. I mean you've had your chance to kind of put your spin on the menu and, and Hoffy, I know you're still kind of getting, getting into the flow of everything, but, but <laughs> how would you like to see kind of J bar M evolve over the next say six months to a year? Uh, honestly, I mean, just um, looking at the food, it seems like they've got a good handle on it. Uh, they've got a good direction of where they want to go. And obviously you want to support those team members and make sure that they uh, get the amount of support that they need. But um, one thing, obviously um, Alec mentioned earlier as well, just the stage and, the, the vibe that we can create in uh, downtown itself, just uh, with the live music and just adding a little bit more flavor to it to where you can say, oh, you know, I'm going to get a good plate of food, phenomenal world-class service, but then, bam, listen to good local music, uh, support local artists. Um, I mean, there's a reason why there's so many people that come out here and listen to some of the mu- musicians out there. Uh, Houston and Texas have a phenomenal, phenomenal following with uh, local musicians. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's right. I think you know, I, I follow those Facebook food groups, you know, and people are always, it seems like they're always looking for a place with live music. So yeah, I think kind of leaning into that makes a lot of sense. And of course you've got that, you've got that great stage. Yeah. Stage plus the parking. I mean, we've noticed as well that a lot of people around us, um, there's a couple of cool spots, obviously serve phenomenal food, but um, the one convenience J-Bot, uh, M's got is uh, that big parking lot. <laughs> That's a good point, especially you know, inside the loop that, that, uh, that counts for a lot. Yeah. Alec, what about you? I mean, how would, you know, I mean, you know, we're a couple of years removed from the most recent Texas monthly top 50. I mean, you know, they'll do their, I I assume that means they'll do their 25 newcomers, uh, you know, either this year or next year. I mean, is that, is that something you'd like to be in the mix for? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, yeah, it's this year, the, the 25 new joints come out. And, uh, you know, it's definitely a personal and a team goal of ours to to be included in that, um, as well as, you know, the the next top 50 list that comes out two years from now. Um, you know, I wouldn't, you know, it's not something we, we're losing sleep over or constantly thinking about, but it is, you know, we, we acknowledge that, you know, that's a that's a staple for many people and, it, and it's helped a lot of uh, barbecue 
um, businesses in the state of Texas, you know, they've, they've seen a lot of growth and uh, more sustainability. And uh, yeah, so that's that's a goal, you know, and uh, kind of the time what, what Hoffie was saying is, you know, kind of utilize our potential a bit more uh, by doing stuff in-house um, with more events, you know, more musicians, you know, to tie uh, tie into the big parking lot we have, you know, uh, do some some stuff with like, you know, some car shows. You know, that's one thing, uh, you know, Houston's really big on car culture and food and, you know, all it's all intertwined. So that's some of some other uh, things we want to get into and do more of uh, and utilize our space for that. And, you know, just more off-premise events, you know, get into more uh, more festivals and, um, you know, uh, out, out outside caterings, you know, from the building. And, um, you know, so and, and then on top of that, my main goal really is just to grow volume, you know, um, just want to keep pushing the boundaries, keep growing sales, keep getting more people in the door and keep them coming back. Um, you know, that, that, that's kind of my overall goal and just to keep pushing our boundaries, you know, with, with our product, make sure we're, you know, uh, not get stagnant, um, you know, we're constantly evolving, you know, different techniques that we're doing in the pit room. Um, cause it's, you know, that's something that we have to do all the time, you know, um, barbecue is very intuitive. And then also, um, you know, the weather is crazy in Houston and that plays a big part in how you're cooking. And the results that you'll get out of it. So, you know, we're constantly trying to stay ahead of, of Houston's bipolar weather. And uh, <laughs> that itself is a challenge. But I feel like we're getting more grounded with that. Um, but, yeah, I just really want to see the place continue on the track it's already, you know, on. But uh, just uh, get more people in the building, you know. And um, Yeah, and no, to add to it as well, I mean, Alec and them, we took them out to the Mudbug Festival. Um, Charlie Diggs is a good supporter of uh, some of the stuff that we're trying to do. And uh, he does a ton of festivals. We took uh, Alec and the guys out there. And, I mean, they were knocking it out of the park where there was other, other individuals that basically run their own festivals uh, that said, hey, they're trying to invite them to come to those festivals because they did such a bloody good job uh, feeding Randall King, uh, Mark Chestnut. We actually took the food on the actual bus uh, while he was uh, waiting to perform before he went on stage. And he could not uh, stop talking about the, some of the food uh, Alec and the guys made. Chad Prater was out there. Um, and actually, to add on, we've uh, got an, uh, an event that we're going to do as well, June 2nd, to expand on our, um, what do you call it, um, a variety of events that we can do. So we can do a weigh-in with uh, El Tigre Promotions, doing a weigh-in for the bo boxing match in Galveston as well. So they're going to actually do the weigh-ins at the location itself, June 2nd. Okay. Do you know who the fighters are? Just out of Yeah, curiosity? so the main fighter, Alfonso Lopez, he's actually going to put his belt on the line. At, I think he said was, uh, he, so he's the Bridgerweight champion um, for that specific weight class. So he's um, going to fight whomever. Obviously, I think he's waiting on a fight to finish. Uh, so he's waiting on his opponent, but that should be announced uh, super soon as well. So um, that's going to be a, he's a number seven boxer in that weight class, uh, world ranked. So it's going to be a phenomenal fight to see and actually witness. But the fact that we can get those fighters out there eating Alec and all the guys' uh, food in the, the pit and some of the stuff that they do. I mean, it's going to be just uh, exceptional to put these two individuals and two groups together. Well, and, the, and they'll have been cutting, right, to, to make weight. So once they once they officially weigh in, uh, you can roll out some of those platters and they can chow down. Yeah, get maybe a possible tomahawk steak from the back that's hiding out there. Yeah, yeah, you may, you may want to bring the tomahawks back for one night only. <laughs> yeah, I think we could do that. <laughs>
All right. Well, gentlemen, I have to say that that brings me to the end of my questions. Um, but before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Alex, let me start with you. What is your favorite ingredient? Oh, favorite ingredient. Uh, I'd have to say beef. Hoffie, how about you? Uh, turmeric. Hoffie, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh, John, uh, John Bon Jovi. Alec, how about you? Oh, man. So first, first show I ever went to was actually two headliners. It was uh, Dilated Peoples and the Cool Kids. All right. Hoffy, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, 100%. What a burger. And I still get made fun of uh, because of that saying, what a burger. Yes. Alex, how about you? Uh, it's definitely going to be the Mexican pizza from Taco Bell. They brought that one back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fourth question, Alex. What is the last TV show you binged? Oh, man. It was the Wu Tang series on Hulu. Awesome. All right. And then Hoffy, how about you? Uh Seinfeld. And then finally, Hoffy, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Ooh, Andre Johnson. Alec? Man, I, I was infatuated with Jeff Bagwell growing up, so I'm gonna have to give it to, to Bagwell. That's a great answer. All right, give us the, the website and the social media for JBRM. So website is uh com, and for all socials it should be uh jbarm barbecue. Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks yeah, so much. Thanks man. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.